0: Welcome to the Totally Transformed podcast. We are continuing our series on marriage with this episode. Uh, at last time we started by talking about the reverential fear of the Lord. I mean, that's just a, a foundational principle for all of life, but certainly for marriage. So we're looking forward to continuing that today. My name is Lance Borden. I'm here with Dr. Connie Borden, who is my mom. She's a Christian psychologist and author. And to between us, we have a lot of years of marriage. We do. And you more than me, but um, ever ever learning every day. And I can say my testimony is that marriage gets more enjoyable over time as you put God first. And that's a big key because if you're self-seeking or you're not putting God first, then that's when it can go the other direction and, and spiral out of control. But in this series, we're wanting to provide you some um, a framework, some principles, foundational principles of marriage. Um, and in this series, like I said, we talked about the reverential fear of God. Today, we're going to talk about covenant in marriage. And then we're going to also talk about uh, probably maybe touch on it this week, but probably next time talk about complete surrender. And then finally, Satan's strategies and wounding and strongholds. So we want you to stay with us through this series and go back and hear the previous ones if you didn't before. Happy March to you! Thank, thank can you him. believe it's March yes, already, I can. Mom? I
1: can believe that already because time flies when you're having fun, and we have lots of fun, don't we? In the ministry and in life, and
0: life is fun.
1: I mean, life is fun if you have a purpose and a calling, and you know. Uh, The end of the story, you read the back of the book and we win, right? Well, March,
0: yeah. Well, absolutely. Ultimately, that's why we can have continual joy knowing that we've won. We've won. We get to spend eternity with the creator of the universe who is worthy of our praise and is just amazing in every way, greater than any depicted movie superhero. He's just everything beautiful, awesome, holy, wonderful, and just cares so much about us and wants to take every step with us. It's it's so awesome, um, and if you don't have that kind of relationship with Him, it's available to you um, if you just surrender to Him and make Him your Lord and Savior. Um, but I was going to say that March to me means skiing. Oh yeah, me and the family, yeah. which is not probably good English to start a sentence that way. The family and I are going skiing in the month of March, and we are we always look forward to this. It's my Probably my favorite family vacation because it involves a 14 some odd hour road trip. And a lot of people out there are probably cringing at that, but I love it. I I think it's so fun to watch the change of scenery from where we live, which is, which is an awesome place to live, but it's flat and there's not a ton of geography to look at or topography to look at. And as you go into the mountains where we go skiing things progressively first of all get more deserty and then the you start to see the hills and valleys and then you start to see the bigger mountains and then finally you get to see snow peaks and I think it's just I just I love that transition and I love seeing all the sights along the way.
1: Maybe that's a childhood thing maybe because uh, we went on a fair amount of vacations when you were a child and we did fly uh, to several places but we also drove Um, and I'm kind of with you I would rather drive, I think, than fly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It gets a little bit harder when you're older as far as riding, but we don't drive 18 hours a day or like we used to from, you know, uh, Ohio to New York. We are breaking it up this time. Yeah. That's the way to do it, five, six hours a day. But at any rate, um, that's exciting. It's exciting about March, it's exciting about spring. I always love spring because everything starts to bud in the. Cardinals come out and the flowers start blooming and the grass gets green, but um, back to your point that you made about marriage, it never. Um, you said it never surprises me that marriage is not successful in the twenty first century because you started out with saying that you know it does take what we've talked about so far, but mostly it takes understanding the principles of the word. Because the Lord compared marriage to his relationship with the body of Christ, him being the uh, husband and the body of Christ being the bride. And so it never surprises me in the world. You started out by saying, if you need to know Christ, please start there. Because if you don't start there with the reverential fear of God, and we're going to talk more about surrender to Christ, then even marriages in with believers or in the Christian faith take that type of commitment, because you have two different people coming into a relationship where you're together 24 seven, everything you believe and everything you know, and your perceptions and, and preferences and all that, and some of the, for lack of a better word, negativity that you brought into the marriage, you know, we've all had rejection and things like that can affect the relationship. And it amazes me. It doesn't amaze me that people in the world can't make it without knowing the basic premises of the pre- premises of the principles of the word, but then it does surprise me a little bit more in with believers. It makes me wonder if they have a reverential fear of God or if they're completely surrendered. Because we never said marriage was easy. The Lord didn't say marriage was easy. He notes several times what to do in the Bible. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. If that's not a statement that will keep you on your knees. And wives, you know, um, appraise your husband, be submissive to them, not in a sense of being dragged, drugged around by your hair, but having an order in your family with a head, etc. cetera. Um, it's difficult. That's all I can say. It's difficult. But We can do it through the grace and love and principles and desire to please the Lord first, right?
0: Right, we can. And somebody out there is probably saying, yeah, well, I did that, but my partner did not. Mm -hmm. You know, so there there are the situations where, you know, one side of the equation is not submitted to the Lord. And you were saying earlier that you've had experience uh, interaction with— couples and or one partner in the marriage relaying to you just that the the other one was like, it was like they were up against a thorn bush and yeah. they were bleeding to death.
1: Yeah, it's my biggest cross to bear for people that I can help counsel and comfort and encourage. But when you have one side that is surrendered and seeking the Lord with their whole heart and walking in his will and the other is so off the rail, such as being addicted to alcohol or lust, or they're just not sold out, or what I call, or tracking with the Lord. And that takes a work of the heart. And worse, if we're talking to people that are in an abusive marriage, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, uh, sexually abusive, where your ability to survive is based on getting away from this person. And that's where I developed that phrase. If you're bleeding to death, you better give it away from the thorn bush. Sometimes, in other words, a thorn bush is pricking you constantly and causing you to bleed. You must get away from it, at least through separation, because your survival is dependent on this person that is really following Satan. They're not even normally walking in love. They are messed up some way and they want to take it out on you And I find that so much of the time with wounded people that have developed strongholds of control or anger or anxiety or fear or whatever. So it is difficult. But I guess today we're trying to start with two believers that aren't so abused that they can't be quote-unquote normal. Right. And in that vernacular, my concern is that a lot of believers, when they don't have all those outliers that they can't cope with and have to move away. They may not understand the basic definition of covenant versus contract. Right, And so our flesh, you know, if we're not walking, go, let's go back to uh, surrender, which we'll talk about more next time or the reverential fear of the Lord. They just want to give up. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want to lay down their life. It's easy to do. I can talk to anybody that's in a long marriage or a short marriage that said, forget it. This is too hard. I just want to give up. I'm going to go find somebody else. Obviously, we're ill matched. We never should have gotten married. When actually, the Lord is always trying to sharpen you. Iron sharpens iron. And since you're married to someone 24 7 and you're supposed to be faithful. You have to work these things out, not just for your own Christianity and theirs, but for the sake of children you've probably birthed in the earth that are watching every movement you make. And you want to be an example to them, although perfection was never the goal, just excellence and to be an authentic Christian and admit that you have weaknesses and to ask forgiveness and everything between each other or of your children. But when people are fleeing marriages right and left and they've been married three and four times as believers, in the body of Christ, I can't, I'm not, we're not judges. I don't know. I'm not inside that marriage. Uh, I don't know why they left, but it seems like it's a little bit too prevalent based on the covenant understanding that the Bible portrays of marriage. Yeah.
0: Well, starting there, I mean, let's talk about covenant versus contract. Like you said, I'm afraid most people start out marriage thinking that, Hey, I mean, you see this a lot in young people today. They'll say, I've heard, uh, you know, a couple of times recently, people that are in their 20s or 30s, you know, talk about, well, yeah, we're going to go down to the courthouse steps and we're going to get legally married. And then we're going to have a ceremony, you know, four months from now or whatever with family. Right. And there's like this D, um, Deformalization, if you will, or
1: desacredness, sacredness,
0: de, it de- it, yeah. to coin a word that doesn't exist, you yeah. know, of marriage to be like, okay, well, let's not have to, you know, in some ways, let's not have to commit to a big event and spend all the money. Let's just go ahead and, you know, quote unquote, tie the knot and then we'll celebrate later. And it, you know, it takes away that seriousness and that sacredness of, hey, I'm gonna gather all of my friends and family on both sides, hers and mine, and they're all gonna witness this agree this covenant that we're making and what that's supposed to turn into is a lifetime commitment, right? And on
1: top you're on top of that, as we're saying, to coin that word that you coined, you're not making the vow before God so it's many before times. Before the state. Right. Before the state, which the state is all about contract, you know, uh, breaking contracts. And, you know, (laughs) as long as it's legal,
0: we can do it. Yeah,
1: exactly. And sometimes when it's illegal, we Mm -hmm. can do it. I'm sorry to say. And so that's you're right. And so if you don't go into it with the understanding, if you are a believer uh, of what Jesus talked or the God talked or the Bible talked about covenant and what it meant to him and you think you have, we're going to do it in the courtyard or the court. The court courthouse courthouse, and we can break it. Then obviously you're going to get to a hard point where you're going to break it, because it's not going to always. It is not going to always be easy. And at that point, you have to make a choice that you're in a covenant that you made before God and man. The word says, "What God has put together, let no man put asunder." I can tell you that reference uh, maybe later, but I don't have the reference. But anyway, you can look it up. Let no man put asunder. That would mean you as a man or woman. And it would mean also, uh, other people coming into your life to make you put it asunder, which means that you're going to destroy it. It seems pretty definitive to me, but if you don't go into it with that mentality, guess what?
0: Matthew 19.6.
1: Okay. Matthew 19.6. You're going to find a man or a woman or yourself as a man or a woman that says you know what this was a mistake i picked the right person there's got to be somebody better that i can get along with and you're going to put that marriage asunder
0: yeah because the principle of a contract is okay we're going to have terms yeah right right. that we're both going to agree to we're both going to sign it and there's a legal repercussion if somebody breaks the contract right there's a payment that has to be made in some way right and you see that in all kinds of transactions that are made for buying homes and property to from, from that to, you know, contracts that are done even in marriage. I mean, to if people do a prenuptial agreement, right? That, Hey, if this doesn't work out, this is what's going to happen. This is how we're going to settle it. If it doesn't happen, um, even contracts for service and business. Right. But When it's that kind of a scenario, people can weigh, they can do a cost-benefit analysis and say, this isn't working. I'm willing to pay the penalty to break the contract. Whereas in marriage, what God intended was that we would make a covenant. And I know you're going to talk in a minute about how covenant was um, described and formulated in the Bible. We're going to make a covenant that lasts forever forever. With the representation of a ring on your ring finger that is circular, right? Yeah. Does not end. It goes around and around as a representation of that non-ending agreement or covenant between you and your spouse. And what that means is that divorce is not an option. We're going to work it out. We're going to take our differences before the Lord. We're going to pray for each other when maybe it's clear to me that you're wrong, and you're going to do that when it's clear to you that I'm wrong, and ask the Holy Spirit to correct us. uh, We're going to stay in it and, and work on it and wrestle with things until we can figure out how to to come to terms without breaking the marriage covenant, right?
1: Yeah. And it's so clear of the fallacies that people think today, because first of all, so many think, well, what we'll do is we'll live together and see if the shoe fits and if the shoe fits, we'll wear it. Well, first of all, you can't build um, a marriage on a lie or a sin, you're not supposed to have sex before marriage. Sex is something that's supposed to be within the confines of marriage. And I'm probably crossing all kinds of lines, potentially to people I'm talking to, because it's the status quo that you just have sex before marriage and, and you uh, consummate the marriage before you have consummated or made a covenant, if you want to put it that way, before the Lord. And usually those marriages end up in divorce. So that's one fallacy. The other fallacy is That if, like you said, if I get married, then I, and it doesn't work because I have a contract instead of a covenant, I can break it and marry somebody else. And if you just think about that with whom, let's say you're having trouble with your spouse right now, someone we're talking with when you got married and when you were first in love, even if you did it in a church and you thought you made a covenant, it was all sunshine and roses. Yeah, it was bliss. It was bliss. Okay. And so does it not make sense? that the fallacy is in time it's not going to be sunshine and roses, either because of some of the struggles you face in life or because the true uh, wife and husband come forward. Not that you are necessarily trying to hide it, and yet... And yet
0: yet you usually do. You usually always putting your your, best foot forward. You always have breath that smells good, and you always brush your hair, and you always look good, and you don't see the behind the scenes until you cohabitate.
1: (laughs) So doesn't it not make sense to you... Uh, and me and who we're talking to today that that's going to happen again. It's going to be bliss for a while. And so there's there's this cyclic uh, marriages. Well, okay, I got the right one now because it's bliss for a while. Mm -hmm. And then they go back because, well, I always tell people that I'm counseling, you take yourself into the next marriage. And if you could just go into your relationship right now if you're having trouble and say, what is wrong with me? And Lord, is there anything wrong with me? And shake anything that's shakeable, and refine me and not just blame your spouse for everything that's wrong, not that there can't be things wrong in your spouse, but you can't change your spouse. You can only pray for them and pray that they will submit to the Lord and the Lord will change them. But while you're changing, they often change. So that is the fallacies, and it begins with what we're talking about today. First of all, not having the correct biblical definition of covenant First of all, let's define it by Miriam, who wasn't even a Christian. Webster was, but I'm not sure about Miriam. Um, But he even says, a usually formal, solemn, and binding agreement. An agreement This is
0: now that you're reading dictionary.com now. Yes. Right. Usually
1: formal between two or more persons to do or not do something specified. mm -hmm. Uh, Then it gives an ecclesiastical a definition, a solemn agreement between the members of a church to act together in harmony with the precepts of the gospel, which I was really surprised to see that in the 21st century of any definition, even on dictionary.com. But so the world even has some concept of the spirituality of a covenant versus um, a contract as you've already defined, a contract in in legal terms can be broken. And so if you look at your marriage that way, that, well, we're going to stay together until we don't like each other, and then we're going to break this contract, then you probably will. But what I was struck by is that in the Bible, the Lord relates covenant to marriage specifically. In Malachi 2, 13 through 15, you weep and well because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? Is it because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth? You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth.
0: That's Malachi 2, 13 through 15.
1: So, I mean, we're not even going into this today, but when God uh, relates this to your children and your offspring being godly, is it any wonder that the foundations of our youth and our um. What's it called? What are we today? The X generation? What generation is it? Well, we
0: had millennials and then after them is generation Z.
1: Okay. So no wonder they don't know who they are, where they came from and where they're going because they haven't had this example of covenant and that you got married to stay with your wife or your husband. And you also want this secure family relationship to exemplify to them to pass down these precepts precepts so they'll stay married too when they get married because they see that it can work, it does work, it will work because they've seen your example. So right there tells me um, that we've gone a long way from what God ordained, designed, defined as the successful principles that will cause us a successful marriage.
0: Well, the word covenant in the Bible derives from the same root word meaning to cut. Um, so, in the culture of the Bible, covenant carried weight and and was often cut or sealed in blood. And you know we see this when covenant, like when God made a covenant with Abraham, they cut an animal, they cut animals down the middle, and then they walked between them, and there was the shedding of blood. Right. Right. Um, same thing with circumcision, the symbol of the Israelites being God's chosen people was that the males had to be circumcised, which is a cutting away of the flesh. So there's like this price, this blood price that is paid when a covenant is made. And, you know, that in marriage today, we don't cut ourselves to make the covenant. But in a way, when uh, a marriage is consummated, sometimes there is a shedding of blood. right? And you, I think you could also look at it like, you know, there's a price... To be paid when I'm going to choose to marry this person, that hurts a little bit from the standpoint of I'm cutting off my opportunity or my option to go after anybody else or have it my way only, right? I'm cutting away that option and I'm choosing to be joined to this person and have to make decisions with them and be one with them and only get my satisfaction. And as far as relationship and even, and especially sexual satisfaction with them only, right? And so that it's it's amazing that symbolism, that price that is depicted in the Bible when a covenant is made that makes it so much more formal and deep uh, and meaningful than just a contract.
1: And what's so exciting is when you see it that way, and you see in the Old Testament where God forged all these covenants, especially with Israel and his leaders, Abraham and Moses and David, and He made this blood. Uh, they made this blood symbolism by cutting and shedding of blood, and we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never, never did, never will go back on His covenants. It's man that violated the covenant. And then he fulfilled it when he died on the cross and shed his blood there once and for all. And we know once we receive him as Lord and Savior, the covenant that he will not destroy you or you will live and reign with him forever in heaven will never be taken from you. Once you confess your sins and believe that God sent him on the cross to die and rise again and you accept him as Lord and Savior then you have a covenant. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder whether you'll go to heaven. You don't have to wonder whether he's there when you pray, whether he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You don't have to wonder what a wonderful peace giving. I mean, I went to a seminar yesterday on inflammation, and I kept thinking, she kept saying, the more peace you have, the less inflamed your body is which causes disease. And I kept saying, how can you have peace unless you know the Lord? Because he is the prince of peace. He is the one that gives you that eternal, all-knowing peace when you don't know what's going to happen the next day, because none of us really do. But if you don't have that in your marriage, you don't have him in that relationship, and you can't apply that then to your relationship and say, look, if I can't work this out with my husband or wife, God can. And he can help me, and he can help him or her, and can help us understand. And we can pray until we come to a meeting of minds or compromise. Sometimes it's compromise. Many times it's compromise, excuse me, of laying down your life just like he laid down his life for us and following that principle. So if you don't start there and you start with a contract as the world knows it, the success of your marriage is pretty well doomed Mm. because you're going to run into Problems.
0: Yeah. Well, and somebody might say, "Well, what do I do?" I mean, that's me. I. That's the way I. You view, have viewed it. I am viewing it. Thought that was the way it was because that's what I was taught. I've never heard this before. You can change your mind. You can. According repent.
1: to the word, according to truth, I shall know the truth, and the truth will set me free. Right. right?
0: You can literally, and I would encourage you, if that's you, to 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 spend time repenting and just say, Lord, I'm sorry that I have not viewed marriage the way you set it up to be as a covenant. And I am changing my approach to it. I'm going to submit my marriage to you, submit my decisions to you. And I'm going to start viewing marriage as a covenant that I have made before you and not a, and not a contract.
1: And I think you can even, I've talked to clients about a secondary virginity and I've led clients through a secondary virginity where you had sex before marriage And you didn't know that you shouldn't or you followed the world's dictates or Hollywood or whatever you want to say or just followed your own lust. You can go back and say, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. This is not according to the word. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I confess those sins. And I think you can start also. uh, I mean, obviously, you're not a virgin anymore, but you can have a spiritual virginity, which you can build then either your current relationship on or future relationships is not based on sin to begin with. And sometimes we you know, sanctification is a lifetime process. Sometimes we don't come into a revelation of truth or what the Lord wants. And this is why we advocate at Totally Transformed Ministries so much being in the Word, mm-hmm. having a quiet time, meditating on the Word, because when you meditate on the Word and you and you hide it in your heart, that's what it says. If I David says in Psalm, if I hide God's word in my heart, I will not sin against him. So to know him who is the Word, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us in the form of Jesus Christ, is to know the Word. And, you know, you can say for a certain amount of time, once you become a believer, I didn't know that, but then we're supposed to be not just uh, saved, we're supposed to be disciples, Mm -hmm. disciplined, to become, to grow up, And a mature man and woman to eat the meat of the word, not just the milk, by doing discipleship things like prayer and worship and meditating and memorizing the word and having devotional time and getting with other believers and discussing things and getting help if you need it uh, for your marriage. And if you have somebody that just doesn't want to go the way of the cross or the way of uh, covenant discipleship with the Lord or salvation after you married them sometimes that happens, you get married and you're not saved, then you need some really good direction from the Holy Spirit and others on what to do about that. You know, the the Bible is, I think, a little unclear on that because some of it's opinion by Paul in Corinthians. But basically, as I understand it, if your husband that's not a believer does not want to leave you and you're not dying at his hand or her hand, stay with him, Okay. That's kind of what I understand. And so um, there's a lot to discuss there. That's a whole other subject. But I really believe, because I've been married now going on 51 years, that if you are both surrendered to Christ and you understand covenant and some other things we're going to talk about in this series that you brought into the marriage, that through Christ and his grace and his strength and his wisdom – You can live a long marital life successfully, be happy, uh, pour into each other. Uh, Two heads are better than one. You know, the Bible says if two are walking down the road and one falls, the other picks him up. The Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helpmate. I mean, Jesus and God even understood when he created man that he was not enough in the sense of getting through life. You know, God is enough on one hand. He's our total security in in the Lord. But when you're going through life to have somebody to talk to, to be a companion, to watch a movie with, to take a trip with, to raise your children with, to bounce ideas off of, he knew we needed that. Mm -hmm. And so I believe he set it up for us to be successful. I think man In their understanding or their inability or their lack of desire to do it his way has messed it up.
0: Yeah. So I think step one in that situation that you described where you have a partner that maybe isn't surrendered to the Lord or doesn't know the Lord is to pray for them. Yes. And begin serving them like never before as Christ has served us to lay down our lives for them. I believe that same passage that you referenced says... If you stay with them, then maybe they'll be, become saved as well.
1: Yeah, well, there's a security that you can exemplify and an example about Christ-likeness and living a Christ-like life. And just the fact that they're not doing it the way you see it in the Bible, if you stay with them and love them because you've married them, could be the key or the secret to having them want what you have, okay? Okay. There's so many different situations, so many different variables, but this is what I would love to believe, that, you know, you hear about these grandmothers that pray for their children or grandchildren and they become saved. I think sometimes the onus falls on the believer to pray and to be Christ-like. To tap
0: into that supernatural yeah. Um, access that to we the have.
1: and to the one that doesn't understand that you have that that opportunity you have that advantage so mm-hmm. to speak, right. and sometimes and we're all so uh, subject to this discouragement, and uh, it isn't fun. I mean I don't know what this is like because I've been married to a husband that's a believer all my life, but I can imagine it's not too much fun to be married to somebody that doesn't want to dig into the Lord doesn't understand Christian things. Doesn't want to go your way.
0: Persecutes you when you are going to church.
1: Maybe makes decisions that makes you feel like you're not blessed because they're not following the word the way that the Lord lays it out. But even that you can give to the Lord, you know, um, and tell him, look, I'm walking with you as much as I can in the order of my family. Please change my husband so I can walk with you deeper and more. I mean, that sounds like a prayer that God wants to answer, doesn't it? Mm -hmm, It does. So, you know, I hope that helps today to think about, at least, if you're in a marriage that, you know, has some of these variables, uh, but you made it in a covenant sense and you understand covenant, what to do next um, in the sense of seeking the Lord and, most importantly, starting on a, a premise of truth. Right, yeah. right.
0: Well, uh, do you want to close us in prayer? Okay. Um And we can all agree together, whatever your situation is, we encourage you to agree with us now as we pray over your situation and your circumstance and your marriage situation, or if you're single, to pray that God would lead you into this type of marriage um, as we end here today.
1: So Lord Jesus, you know, and we know that there are so many variables to those that we're talking to today. This is not a show on judgment or condemnation because your word is clear to the one we're talking about. If they're following Christ, there's no condemnation to them that follow after the Spirit. So, Lord, we just bind all those lies. We pray that this would be a word that would potentially convict or give food for thought on someone that's maybe feeling stuck or I don't know what to do or, or all the things that we've talked about and can maybe make a difference through their own repentance if they got married without the understanding of what you meant marriage to be, or they're contributing by a lack of prayer or seeking you for their mate. And Lord, we also pray for those that can't stay in the marriage in the sense that they are at risk. They are in danger. And I just pray for them and pray that you would meet all their needs. We are crystal clear that this society, that we live in in the 21st century is more shaking, shaky than ever because the foundational principles of marriage between men and women committed to you and then raising godly children have been, has been really messed up and has been really gone against and your word has been gone against and it's hard for you to bless a nation, a family, a city, a state, any a community of whatever you want to say in a group when the foundational principles are not followed. So, Lord, we all repent. We repent because your word said, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land and repent and I will heal their land. So, Lord, we repent. And I pray that... Our marriages can be examples to others, and we can be an example before our children and grandchildren, that through Christ, I can do all things because we are self-sufficient through Christ's sufficiency. He makes us able. Where we are weak, he makes us strong. And I bind discouragement. I bind lies from the enemy that there is no way to reach a successful stage or place in relationships, because Satan, you are a liar and a thief. And I just rebuke you in the name of Jesus. The word says to resist the devil, submit yourself to the God, and he will flee from you. He will try to make anyone think that God's word, God's principles, God's ways will not work when we know they will. So we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to speak into the lives of people we'll never meet when we don't even know. We'll never see them in person, but that doesn't matter. Because you see them, you know them, you ordain them in their mother's womb, you care about them, and you want them to be blessed in this life and for eternity, to rule and reign with you forever. So thank you, Lord. We pray that you will bear fruit through this series, more and above than what we could ever ask and think. In Jesus' name we pray, believe, and receive all these things. Amen. Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we'll continue this series next time um, on the foundational principles of marriage. But thank you for joining us today on the Totally Transformed podcast. Go fly a kite because it's March and it's windy.
1: And eat some Cadbury eggs.
0: And get ready for Easter. All right. Have a good day.